1: Hi everyone, it's uh, Roxanne. Thanks for tuning in again this week. This week I have a colleague, uh, Keika Desgupta. Hi, Keika. How are you today? Hi, I'm great. Hi. How are you? So Keika, um brings a lot of um, unique experience uh, with her, and uh, just recently, actually, just before I got on the line, I was able to jump on and check out her uh, TED Talk, which really gave me some uh, beautiful things to think about. Um, so I'm going to read uh bio. And um, if there's anything that I miss, Kate, I invite you to kind of jump in at the end and share it with the audience. Sure. So she helps people do life on their own terms. She's the founder of a platform called The Art of Lifing, L-I-F-I-N-G. Uh, she's the mom of two and has spent her uh, her working life as an award-winning PR marketing veteran and now as an entrepreneur to studying the emotional undercurrents that connect people to people and people to brands. She's worked with such global, uh, globally recognized brands as Ikea, Nike, Disney, Johnson & Johnson, American Express, and uh, many, many more Fortune 500s. She offers uh, keynote uh, speaking events, um, interactive workshops, online programming for corporations to create happy, healthy cultures, and anti-bullying programs to schools across North America, something that's so well needed. Um, all using a gratitude-centered leadership. So Keiko, thanks again for coming on and spending time with my audience today. Oh,
0: it's good. Thank you for having me.
1: So is there anything that uh, you didn't highlight in your bio that you'd like to share with, uh, with the listeners?
0: Oh, no, I think that covered it uh, very well. I'm, I'm excited to share this entire journey of lifing with you today. So, okay,
1: so just... tell us about that concept of lifing, you know, so just like it's spelled, it's L-I-F-E hyphen I-N-G. Yeah. Uh, so tell me about that and kind of where that came from and, and kind of the your path and, and what gets you here doing the things that you do in, uh, daily in love. Sure. Well, you know, this started for me a few years ago.
0: Uh, I was at an event um, where a gentleman named Philip McKernan was giving a talk downtown uh, and he's known to be somebody who sort of works with people to kind of bring out the, the best of who they are, you know? So he, he talks about um, discovering you and becoming you. And so I was here in a room with uh, like maybe 200 people um, and he talked about a few things. And then he said, does anybody have any questions? And I sort of had this like, you know, it's now or never moment. So I stood up and I said, Philip, um, I feel like I have lost who I am deep inside. So by all accounts, if anybody looked at me, they would say, well, she's got a really successful life. So um, I'm so grateful that I have uh, an amazing husband. I've been married for, it'll be 22 years this May. Uh, I'm a mom of two boys. So I've got uh, two boys who are 12 and eight. Uh, I'm a. Um, so I'm a wife, I'm a mom, I'm a sister, I'm a daughter, I'm a friend, uh, I'm an entrepreneur, I have a successful marketing career, I have all of these things, um, but these are all roles that I play, and if somebody comes and says to me, well, Keika, who are you? Like, what, what, what are you all about? I have no words to describe that, and that feels like that shouldn't be the case, I should be fixing that. And... Um, Interestingly, you know, he, uh, he responded and I don't even fully remember everything that he said in that moment. I just remember standing up um, um, among that crowd and just feeling very lost, you know, just not knowing who I was. And I thought, I can't believe I got to this place where I have had all the successes that you would imagine externally, but internally I felt like I was missing something. And uh, I, I can't even tell you, Roxanne, how many people came to me afterwards, years later, Um, When I would mention this, uh, his, um, his presentation was called the Red Shoe Tour, and I said that was my red shoe moment where I stood up, and I can't tell you how many people said, oh my gosh, I was there in the audience. I remember you asking that question. And it surprised me because I thought, how, how would, you know, how many conversations do we have on an everyday basis? How many times do people ask questions in a group setting? And I couldn't believe how many people remembered that. And uh, over the years, what I started to discover is that I wasn't alone. That's a question that a lot of people ask. And that most times in society today, what we do is we focus on external factors um, or levels or um, certain milestones that we have to reach to define success. Uh, And that's what we think is a good life, that being successful equals having a good life. But the art of lifing, as I've sort of come to discover it, is creating life where you can grow, you can experience all those successes that you want, but that you do it. While you're also thinking about how to keep yourself happy, how to nourish your soul, how to not just think about the external factors, but also to really think about what you want to do on your own terms. So when I look at my life today, you know, one of my key values is family. That's a critical piece for me. And so I always talk about the fact that even though I have my own business, uh, my kids have to be my number one client. Because at the end of the day, every day that I'm leaving them at home and going out to a meeting or to business meetings or work, I'm taking time away from them, but I'm doing it to build our life together and their future and our our time to make memories together. And so if I'm going to work for them, that's the compass I need to keep in my mind. So I'm now embarking on this journey called the Art of Lifing, and I use gratitude as a critical piece to help center myself back. And I teach corporations and I teach schools when it comes to anti-bullying how to use gratitude and how not to just practice it yourself, but share it and gift it with other people, but doing all of those things in order to build a life on your own terms. And that, by that I mean it's about success, but it's also about happiness so that you can find yourself and live the life that you really want to live deep down inside.
1: I think you'd find that, uh, that concept, you know, if you think of girlfriends when you get together, you know, and at the stage and age that you're at, I remember having those conversations, um, looking around your, your dinner table with your girlfriends, or even I think men also experience it. But I think for us, as women and you know, nothing against the men listening. Um, But we often talk about those things like, you know, I've kind of, I've done the university, I've done done the career, I have had the children, I have had the marriage, maybe I'm into a second marriage or separation. And it's kind of like, now what, you know? And the traditional would say, is that not, you know, let's use a a term that we know, you know, midlife crisis, but really it's about hitting all those marks that are expected of us externally in the world being quite, quite successful at it by the sounds of things, and then thinking, okay, so now what?
0: Yes, absolutely. Well, and you know, I'm marketer, as a marketer by trade, I've been a marketing and PR professional for 23 years before I sort of moved into this area. Um, one of the key things that I think is that, you know, we're living in an era where even if we don't recognize it, we have a bit of a self-worth crisis in some ways. You know, so many of us, like our human need is to feel like we belong, to feel like we matter, that we're contributing, that we're doing something where we're enough. But quite often when you look at marketing out there today, um, and you know, and I, I did this for 23 years, it, it is like we, we want, as a marketer, I'm, I need you as my customer to need me. And so if I need you to need me, then really essentially what I'm saying is you're not, enough on your own. You need me to be enough. So you need the shampoo to make your hair shinier. You need this toothpaste to make your teeth whiter. If they're not whiter, then they're, you're, it's not enough. You need that car so that other people can admire you because you who you are on your own is not enough. And so I think that, you know, we grow up being bombarded with these kinds of messages over and over again. And we start to believe that it's all of those external factors that are what need to give us the validation that we need but at the end of the day whether we matter or not or whether we contribute or not all comes from deep within us and I think that quite often the midlife crisis is usually when people get to the point where they break off they've had enough experience to go against the flow and say hang on a second I'm not living by those rules anymore you know it's the it's that point where they break free but it is something that can happen at any time and so the goal would be that if we use the art of lifing um, from the very beginning and say that we're going to live life on our own terms and define a really great life not just with success but also with happiness that can happen in your teens, your 20s, your 30s. It doesn't, you don't have to wait until your midlife crisis to be able to experience that, that you can live a much more fulfilling life. And, you know, interestingly, if you look at the entrepreneurial world, there's so many founders who have built a company from the ground up, been incredibly successful, and and are worshipped by people, you know, they're put up high on pedestals, and everybody thinks this person has the dream life, and they are at the top, and they go, this is it, there's gotta be more to life. And then you find that they move into their next transition where they do something that's way more meaningful for themselves. I've been following Arianna Huffington, you know, where she started the Huffington Post. Now she does Thrive Global. She's a perfect example of somebody who's suddenly found a, a passion and a cause that's, you know, more than just the news outlet that she created. Um, and now she's doing something with more meaning. So many entrepreneurs do the same thing in their second or third rounds. They start to do things where they're putting happiness and impact um, and and their personal uh, gifts to the table. And I think that's what we're trying to do is we're trying to hack that system and not have to wait until you get to that midlife crisis point, but actually hack it from beforehand so that you can avoid all of the um, the nonsense beforehand and really get to the heart of what's going to make your life really amazing.
1: Makes a lot of sense because I often think of like in my coaching and my practice that um, people will come with the same things, right? They'll say, you know, you know, I have done this, I've done that. And especially women, like think about us and, you know, at, at the positions that we are today as entrepreneurs um, or past executives, both of us, Yes. you know, a generation and two, our moms weren't doing that. Like, I mean, okay. they, they were in a different spot. If their kids were, you know, well taken care of, well-mannered, well-dressed, well-fed, all those things, that was, you know, and, you know, they were frontward facing and looking okay in the world, everything was good. Yeah. And now we, we are... In such a special place to some degree, that we can step back like a, an area Aria, Ariana Huffington or other women in the world, be it me or you, and say, okay, like what, what imprint do I want to leave? Yes. Based not all the that you have or I have, you know, we can sit back and then really have these open conversations and actually create it, like based on what you said. When you asked that question, which oftentimes... Um, that must have been a a proud moment for you to hear about it after a lot of people are oftentimes too scared to get up and ask the question that's burning even though they may have it right and then when you ask it you realize wow there's a lot of people yeah right
0: yeah and you know sometimes too people are on that autopilot or that hamster wheel they don't even realize it and i think that's part of what we want to do is get people to realize that you know Um, If you are in a life where you're just doing things or you've fallen into a pattern and a a routine every day and you're like why am I doing this I don't even know why I'm doing this it is time to ask those questions and you're absolutely right that we are so lucky to be living in a time today where we not only have the freedom to be able to follow our path in many different ways I mean I think technology has enabled us to do that in many ways but I also think our collective conscience has helped us Um, and I think that you know this is the time for us to ask those questions I got very lucky when I was working uh, I was working for an ad agency, DDB, and I, and I still consult with them now, but once I had my older son, Caden, uh, I just did not want to spend time away from my newborn baby, and the agency world is not a nine-to-five job. It's amazing and tons of fun, and you learn so much, but it's just not a nine-to-five type of job, and so when I went in... <coughs> excuse me, my name is called, um, when I went in and I, and I was, uh, I was, I was going to quit my job and basically to say that I just really want to be with my son, um, and so I'm going to let this position go and, and go into a freelance world, um, the agency said, you know, we don't want to lose you, maybe you can work part-time, and I just sort of knew that I needed to really sort of separate things in order to have my freedom. Um, the agency came back and said, okay, you know what, would you consult for us? And I said, yeah, absolutely, I can do that. Um, and it's just that our mindsets are different in the workforce today, that they allowed me to do that. And what that meant was, I could be home with my kids, I could be feeding my son, I could give him a bath, then I could go in for a meeting and I could come back and I could do work from home, you know. It gave me so many freedoms in that way and I think that we are in a world today where if we just ask the right questions, we can really take advantage of this era that we're in and, um, and live life fully to our own purpose.
1: So, and it's so interesting that you said that because myself, the same thing. So I was a 17 and a half year old. And at the time, um, you know, I got pregnant right at, right, right. Went right when starting wasn't right. planned and I'm like, Oh my goodness, now what am I going to do? Right. And then I thought, okay, so now within a year I was pregnant of starting with a consulting firm. And then it was like, well, I have, you know, I'm in Niagara, they're in Toronto you know, it's different when you're on your own; those types of things. And then I had to decision to make because I thought I can't come home at seven o'clock at night when my babies, I've missed a full day. Yeah. So you know, kind of beside myself. So yeah. I went to them and said that I um, I love my job. I love consulting with, uh, you know, all the companies that I did with health and man- wellness strategy and mental health and wellness. Um, but I would have to, you know, quit. And at that point, they said, "You know what?" We'll work something out, and I went oh, okay. Well, let's, and that was before, just when consultants were going virtual. It's where yeah. you can work, kind of, basically, you'd have a setup. And I was fortunate; I was one of the first ones. There was an amalgamation, and the new culture coming in in and had already had a bit had a bit of that. And lucky, I was able to keep the job that I loved, but also, like you, be able to you know stay at home. Uh, you know, when my little guy came through the door, you know, he can come up to yeah. me and. Even if I was on on the phone asking for me for a cookie because if I was listening to, you know, uh, being on a call that I was running, I could be available. Yeah. So, again, a world where for a lot of, and, and I think men are get equally as uh, able to now, and women, that we can still enjoy, you know, the things that we want to do. That yeah. said, the women that are listening that are at home um, or are in traditional roles or have jobs, I want them to know that, my, What I hear you, Clarity, saying is find out what you love, and it doesn't mean that you have to be an entrepreneur. Just make that imprint in some way.
0: Oh, absolutely. Um, absolutely. And, I, you know, I've been lucky enough in my career, too. I, I've spent the first... Uh, first part of my career for seven years working at Ikea Canada and uh, I was in their PR department in their head office and we did some amazing things and you know throughout my career I've always made a promise to myself that I want to get up in the morning and go to work look feeling excited you know like wanting to go into work and wanting to do something that's really uh, impactful and so um, I feel like you know even in traditional jobs today uh, it's so important to take the initiative to follow your heart and do the things you want to do even within our, our organizations I think the opportunity to be an entrepreneur within corporate companies is huge right now because I think companies are looking for that disruption. Um, and, you know, I think for many different companies, it's, they appreciate you navigating your own career. And so if something's not working for you right now, they appreciate you going up and asking them and talking about things and exploring and looking for other opportunities. And so I always encourage Um, people to look for that, you know? And when it comes to the corporate workshops I do, I work with middle managers and top leaders and I say to them, you know, how comfortable are your employees to come and talk to you about things? And, you know, today I, I really do believe that work and life there isn't a work-life balance; it's really work-life integration because, you know, we're working for people's mind share so often today. In most jobs, even a cashier at the front end of a store can look at how products are being packed and might be able to say, "Hey, you know what? If we just turn this upside down, you could actually put double the product in half the space." For example, you know, so um, looking for those opportunities, I think that um, I, I always point that out to. Um, managers is that, how well do you know your employees? How happy are they in their lives and in their work together? Because if you can make sure that both of those um, areas are happy, you're gonna get the best product, you're gonna get the best employee performing at that optimal level. And so it's not just about what happens in the walls of work and then you leave it and you go home anymore. It is really about looking at the whole puzzle all together and not just a few pieces. You know, so and
1: health and wellness years ago, when I started in it, you know, say 20, 25 years ago, it was kind of definite. Yes. You know, it you was. parked your you parked your family, you went to your job, you did your job, you parked your job, and you went back home. And we recognize that, you know, a happy employee, and ultimately, where does the employee spend more time? They spend more time during the day with, with now in the traditional environments doing yes. a job. So but their family takes up a lot more, life takes up a lot more time. So if they yeah. can figure out kind of what they value, what what are my top values, right? And yeah. you you clearly said family was one of them. Yeah. And when people get connected with, if I was completely successful today, with what in my life, how would my top three values be the most, would you know, they would be frontward facing and there would be no negotiation. But going back to that talk that you said that a lot of people have with themselves is, I think when the incongruence happens where um, they've they've maintained the success, they're they're at the top of the hill of, of wherever they wanted to be, and they're looking around there and thinking, "Wow, my value. I think I may have skipped a couple of values here on the way up." <laughs> or not brought it up with me, and that's where I, I see people making a lot of shifts. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, with the, you know, you talked a little bit about um, your school program and um, your corporate program. So, you know, I, I often think, and I wonder what you think about this, Kika, that sometimes we gain wisdom as we get older. Mm-hmm. And I often say we need to take the wisdom of the old, and we need to flip it to the young. Yes. So with with your with your um your your school program, tell me a little bit about you know, how you approach, um, the concept of, I mean, at the end of the day, it's being, bullying is being nice, trying to be nice, right? If we could kind of cut away the the language, what kind of things, how do you approach when you go into schools, um, to kind of assist with, uh, situations which, unfortunately, there's too many of them today?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that there's, um, a couple of key things in my program that are different than other traditional programs, and I think there's a need for both, but, um, Um, What I look at in our school programs and what I do when I go in is, I help students recognize the power of gratitude first and foremost. Um, Because when you share gratitude with somebody, Um, you're validating them to the deepest part of who they are. So it's something that, you know, in our social culture, we often don't share. So, you know, we'll wait until someone leaves the room and then we tell the rest of the people in the room, oh, isn't he great? I just love him. Isn't he fantastic? You know, or sometimes we're deeply grateful for just a word or a sense or something that somebody has done in a moment. We never tell them. And that person also has no idea that they've ever left that imprint on you. So, um, what I do is I help people understand that. So, I share with students that when you actually go and you share gratitude with somebody, you watch their reaction and you see the kind of takeaway that you get from them. It's an energy booster. It's like a happiness boomerang that comes back to you, you know? So, you can, when you have a negative environment of bullying, if you add positivity into it, you can change the temperature and the climate of a school environment. It also starts with Um, empathy and part of this I I take some lessons from uh, drama and theater my background in theater I used to be part of a special music theater program in high school Um, and so often you know in theater we talk about really delving into the character or the person that you're speaking to when I do with students is I say to them you know how can we look for and really understand what other people are going through, even if they're not actually saying something to us? So um, there's a few different exercises that I use, and there's one video, for example, uh, that went viral a few years ago. There was a student in an art school in Chicago that did this particular experiment around beautiful things. So she went around to her high school and was taping individual people, and videotaping them, and then they would say, you know, what is this for? She would say, oh, I'm just, I'm taping things that I find beautiful. And the reactions of the people, the students, was so, first of all, so varied and also so telling, you know. Some of them would just, they would be gushing. Um, others would just have a huge smile on their face and be like, oh my gosh, you just made my day. Um, the, and then other students at the same time would get angry and be like, shut up, you know. And we start to explore why those reactions happen. So someone's really happy, or someone's really blushing, that comes from a certain mindset or a certain perspective. The student who might just turn around and say, shut up, what might that reaction be coming from? Where might that pain be? So we explore that, and for example, you know, we talk about if that person has come back to you and said shut up because you said they're beautiful, chances are they've convinced themselves at such a deep level that they are not beautiful that even if somebody tells them that, they can't accept it. And chances are that they've been so hurt in some ways that not only can they not accept it, but they're immediately gonna fight back to say, like, you're just making fun of me and I won't put up with it. Like, they're hugely defensive. Bullying behavior often comes from a place of hurt. Um, You know, when somebody's hurt, they try to pay that hurt forward in order to alleviate what they're feeling. And that doesn't work. It actually never solves the problem. But what often happens is, I'm hurt. I want to take my hurt and get rid of it. I don't know how to do it, so I just try to pass it on to somebody else. I pay that forward. And then in our systems, in our social structure, we start to vilify that person. And so then that becomes, you know, you're the bully, I'm the victim, and we get very polarized in that sort of way. If we can start, however, as students, and I think that students are, you know, young people are incredibly intuitive and incredibly empathetic, and I think as adults, we don't give them enough credit, If students from the very beginning in their classrooms can say, okay, we're gonna make a classroom creed where we say that nobody's going to sit alone from our classroom, which might mean that if anybody in the lunch cafeteria is um, sitting and you see them alone, the culture that you're cultivating and fostering is We're not going to let anybody sit alone. We're going to bring them over. Then what you're naturally doing is including people from the very beginning so that the people that might typically be isolated or feel like they're really hurt now start to become part of the conversation, that those isolations don't go so far apart, which is often where bullying behavior starts um, and gets deeper and more harmful. Um, And so what I talk about in the school programming is something I call quiet leadership because, you know, we tend in our society to really um, celebrate extroverts you know we think that if you're a leader you're up on stage you're talking to everybody you're the popular girl you're the it girl you know that sort of thing but leadership can be incredibly powerful even when it's a whisper from one person to another person. Even if it's a quiet nod from somebody saying, I believe in you, you got this. That type of leadership is something that I think we need to celebrate much more. And so that's what I call quiet leadership. So whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, it doesn't matter. What we're asking students to do in these workshops is start to recognize that first of all, I do have the power to empathize and I can understand where other people are coming from. They don't have to come to me to ask me or tell me. I can proactively monitor my environment and see what those signs are. Number two, I have the power in myself to make a difference in somebody else's life. If you believe that, then when you start to apply it, it can be hugely powerful. So to say that, you know what, all I need to do is make somebody feel like they're going to feel included. All I need to do is listen to somebody to make them feel like they've been heard. Any of those small little actions can make a big difference. And when you use gratitude in the process of doing that, it just adds that extra positive currency into the mix. And it gives people the experience of somebody um, getting something great from you. You know, and I'll give you an example. If you've ever given money to a homeless person or donated or um, volunteered at a soup kitchen or something like that, chances are when you left that experience, you left on a high, you know? Anytime I've gone out and done anything for the community, uh, it doesn't matter the actual thing that I did to help somebody I leave feeling really, really great for the rest of the day. When you share gratitude, that's what happens. You give somebody else their deepest validation and you make them happy, but you also leave really happy. And happiness is something that's contagious, like in a good way. (laughs) So if you can bring that into the school mix and help students recognize that they are leaders in their own right. We are all imperfectly perfect and that we just have to recognize that we are enough and we have the power to make a difference in our school. As soon as you can help students understand that, those light bulb moments that go off are so powerful. And it's the kind of thing that then completely can transform a social environment because now students don't feel like they have to just go to the authority. They just have to report, but they can actually proactively make a positive difference in someone's life.
1: How lovely. And you by the way, your smile is beautiful. If, <laughs> I, I could just imagine what you would do into a classroom when you go in and you train these uh, students because... You know, author- the, even though we think we de-stratify, you know, the, the, the teachers from the students, it's still the authority, which I understand there's a, there's a place for that. Mm-hmm. But even, you know, just listening to you, because I work, I, obviously through my career, I've worked with students or young people, I should say. And, and oftentimes the bully, and you can, you know, tell me your perspective on this, has come from the less than, than ideal situation at home, Mm -hmm. um where you know so we're talking about context you're talking about a positive context right which you know the ones that are having good homes they you know they get they get cross-pollinated they get a good environment at home because you know and then they come to school and they bring that good environment you get children where literally they're hanging on by their fingernails to what you're talking about which is somebody thought i was great today somebody thought I was worthy enough to give me a smile. Somebody was worthy enough to have a conversation with me and say, Hey Roxanne, how are you doing? T- truly? How are you doing today? And yeah. you know, what happens and you'll hear the experts say, well, you know, you put the, the child back into the environment. How are you being helpful? But unfortunately, if this is all they have, just if you can make this as um, fulfilling and gratifying, Yes. or nourishing for them, at least you give them something to have a context to think, I can still feel good on the out- inside, even though I go home and maybe there's some stuff at home that's less than desirable. Yes. Um, we kind of get a benchmark, which I, you know, I often say that we all have an internal GPS, mm-hmm. that we're all meant to be happy, but as we go along life, it kind of plucks away at it. Yes, and absolutely. It's not- and you know- It's already been in it, they yes. already start to second guess the world and how good the world is and all those things
0: yes absolutely and and you know for for anybody i you know different social settings can give you different social experiences and if you can't you know young people might not be able to control what's happening at home or what's happening with the adults in their lives or they might not be able to control a certain particular part of their life but if they can have a positive experience in a different part of their life It gives them a different frame of reference to look at when they're evaluating everything overall. It doesn't mean that everything all has to look one way on its own. And and I think that's important. And I think the other thing, too, is that this empowers students to recognize just how much of a positive impact they can have on somebody. And at the end of the day, it doesn't cost anything. You know, it's time and intention. That's it. And so I think that, you know, when people experience the impact of bringing positivity into somebody's life it's 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 almost intoxicating but in again in a really good way you know because then it's like you want to do more of that it's just it gives you such a good feeling that sense of um sense of purpose and being able to change somebody's life for the better can be so powerful that it enables you to say okay I'm going to do more of this I'm going to look at this more and at the end of the day leadership is all about that right when we hire people into management positions and leadership positions in corporations We want them to be able to understand the psyche of the team that they're leading and bring them to that place where they're going to perform at their best. So at the end of the day, if school is supposed to help build our foundation for work at the end of the day, then these types of lessons are really going to leave us a, a huge impact for how they'll perform as they grow up as well.
1: And going back to that issue of wisdom, you know, if you take the old, I often say in Trinidad, I was, I'm Trinidadian. Yes. And um, you know, when we would, you know, get on our little scuffles, my grandparents would put my sister and I with my grandma who'd be able to mediate in such a, a warm, kind way because she was the grandparent and very, you know, we would listen and we loved her and she was wise. Yes. And yeah. you know, you kind of think about where you're talking about leadership, right? Like all your little ones in school, yeah, right. They're learning things about how to care for themselves and stay connected. So if they can lead themselves when they kind of show up in jobs as middle managers or leaders or senior leadership, I often say, you know, there's no need to throw sand in each other's eyes on the corporate table. Yeah. Literally, yeah. literally, there's different ways around it. And it really it's, it's so important, you know, teaching kids day in, day out kind of what's important. You know what is it to be kind and gentle? What is it to, you know, if you see someone really really sad, um, yes. like your friend, like your little like your little friend that uh, in your TED talk um, with the goldfish, you know, yes. that gave you that, that meant something so big that oh. you'll you remembered that today. Yes, yes. hundred right? percent. So to be able to give that experience, I think, is very very important. Yes,
0: and and the biggest lesson there is I think that people underestimate, they just assume people know, uh, and they don't. At the end of the day, it's so important that what seems obvious to us in terms of the impact that uh, someone has had on us, it's not necessarily obvious to them. And each of us are leaving really powerful, positive imprints on other people around us all the time. And we're walking away, and we have no idea that we've done that. And then we might be hard on ourselves at the end of the day, but the thing is that if we actually then proactively go and tell the people around us who've had that impact, then they'll know. <laughs> and it's the ultimate way to thank somebody.
1: It's, it's I, you know, what's screaming at me when I listen to you, I, I think of legacy. Like what is it, you know, when you talked in, Kika talked in her um, TED Talk, which it was beautiful. I, I would suggest you go on and listen to it. And she talked she that she wrote her mom a um, she wrote a letter which was basically like a living eulogy and just think of the impact of uh, you know what that did for her mother that understood the the gifts that she gave her when she was alive versus when if she had passed away um, that would have been read which I'm sure a lot of people would would get that of your mom but for her to hear it and to be able to really really relish in it and be as ecstatic as you talked about her being um what a what a gift I love that concept you know um because you're saying to people um it doesn't have to be a big big thing that they 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 do for you but even the little kind things like you know if your mother kind of you know makes your favorite meal when you go over or um Mm -hmm. you know it you know helps you with a child that's that's sick. All those things are very, very important that you let the people in your life around you, be it a parent, it could be a coworker, it could be a friend, it could be a partner, a child. Mm-hmm. I often say to my son, you know, the things that he does for me, I'm always grateful and I thank him all the time. I'll go, Oh, thanks, Bob. Yes. <laughs> now, I'm thanking him because oftentimes kids will think that they should th- thank their parents, but it should be both ways.
0: It should be both ways. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, it's it's interesting. You know, um, uh, my after my father passed away, our our temple community was really um, so supportive and really around us, and they really sort of put their arms around our family and took care of us in the, in a time when we were very feeling very raw. And um, my mom actually came to our temple priest only recently, a few, uh, well, I would say about six months ago uh, at our temple and said, you know, I've never said this to you, um, but the way that you led our community and took care of us during that like really difficult time is something that I will never forget. And uh, I know that, you know, we don't always say this. And I, I wanted you to know that it means a tremendous amount to me. And he was really incredibly touched. And, um, I I mean, I was very proud of my mom for taking that step and doing that. And she said, you know, well, I learned it from you, (laughs) which we had a good laugh, (laughs) but it was, it was one of those things where, you know, we uh, often just assume, so here's a priest who does all sorts of things for, for their communities. He's somebody that we would just expect would know that we're grateful. But when she actually uttered those words and said it, if you could see his expression on his face, it was so meaningful. And I think that's the kind of thing, you know, that we, um, we just don't want to take things for granted. Rented, right. And and so the idea to be able to thank somebody in the moment to validate them is just a powerful thing. And you're right. It doesn't matter how old, how young or old you are. It can be at any age. I think that impact is really huge.
1: Well, Keika, like I like I knew this was going to intuitively be an amazing interview. Thank you so much. Um, I have learned a lot, um, you know, from just listening to you and just that whole element of seeing it when you feel it. Yes. Um, when you have good things and you're receiving, be it small or big, just to continue to to share that. Now I'm sure everybody listening is wanting to get to you in some way. Um, <laughs> so where where tell them where they can uh get a hold of you or what you where where they can kind of check you out on YouTube.
0: Sure, yeah. So I have a YouTube channel that I just recently launched called The Art of Lifing with Keika. So uh, as you noted at the beginning of the podcast, it's lifing, L-I-F-E dash I-N-G. So if you put in The Art of Lifing uh, with Keika, it'll show up, K-E-K-A. Um, I put out videos every week and it's very much about my own journey and the journey that I want to share with the, the audience as we go. But the idea is all about doing life. On purpose and on your own terms, and I cover all kinds of topics from the art of lifeing at work, the art of lifeing with parenting and just art of lifeing in general. So I would love it if people check that out, share and subscribe and, and just give me feedback. I'm, I'm always looking for feedback, so uh, I'd appreciate that a lot.
1: Awesome. Uh, well, a couple of things that I've learned, and uh, you know I always talk about staying connected to yourself or being authentic. But again, this is just another example of that. Um, when you feel it and you experience it, share it. And, you know, I guess the challenge that I would have for you today based on Kika's uh, um, TED Talk, which I think you should go check out is, is there someone in your life that you could write a, a living eulogy to? And it's, you know, even if it's a small little note with a couple of things that they've done for you and uh, put it in the mail. Put put a stamp on it and just send it to them and then see the reaction that you get back. Um, The more we're letting people know what we're experiencing of them, um, we're giving back to the world and then we're just making things a lot nicer um, with all the things that we deal with day to day. So again, uh, thanks again, to Takeka, for being with us. And uh, for anyone wanting more information on me, uh, I do keynotes and workshops and training. Uh, You can reach me at roxannederhodge.com. So take care, everyone, and we'll chat again with you next week.
0: Thanks for tuning in to Authentic Living with Roxanne, creating the space for positive, healthy change. Roxanne is a keynote speaker, psychotherapist, and coach. To work with Roxanne, visit roxanderhaj.com blueprint. We'll see you next time on Authentic Living with Roxanne.